Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Clear for takeoff. This is happening. It's real. It's the 25th of uh, February, 2020. Good evening to you. If you have any questions, please feel free to chip in and ask me. And I will go through the questions I've got already. If you don't, because I've got lots of good questions already. But if you do, I'm always open to um, comments and, and suggestions who when you say i who are you talking about well what we're talking about is i being me jonathan styano consultant plastic surgeon and um the director of the styano clinic in edgepaston in birmingham that's who i am and what you need to do at this point is do what that says on the screen which is right there please comment and share feel free to comment feel free to share Feel free to just watch and neither comment nor share whatever you fancy. Um, pretty pretty um, open here. You can do whatever you want, really. Um, no rules. No rules apply. Comfort your own home. You can, you know, do what you want. Free country. Free country. So I'm going to kick off if that's okay. Uh, if that's okay. Hoping the audio is working. Should I? Should I? Two on two. Two on two. audio okay i'm going to assume the audio is working is that a fair assumption because there's a couple of couple of times it hasn't worked i should have someone in another room two and two and two okay tell me if the audio is not working oh, that doesn't work does it you won't know if the audio is not working. anyway we're assuming yes Yes, that means the audio is working, presumably. Okay, right. Um, implant rippling. Do I need to change my implants? I had a breast augmentation 20 years ago. I have silicone implants. Wait a minute. Are these the right questions? Yes, I think they are. Um, I had silicone implants um, placed on top of the muscle. I can feel slight rippling at the top of the breast, but this has been like this for about 15 years. And hasn't changed. Do I need to think about changing my implants? So, no, you don't need to think about changing your implants. A lot of people worry about implants and when do you need to change your implants and what uh, is the indication to change implants. Really, most indications to change implants come from patients rather than the doctors. We're, we're not really likely to tell you that you need to change your implants. If you need to change your implants, it will come from a problem that you are having with your implants. So if you're not having a problem with your implants, or if you've got a problem with your implants that's been going on for 15 years and nothing's really happening and it's just the same, you don't have to have your implants changed. So you don't have to have your implants changed. Now, you might want to have your implants changed. If you want to sort out the rippling and what have you, we can talk about how to sort out the rippling. But if if you're asking, do I need to have my implants changed, then the answer is no. You um, don't need to have your implants changed, even though you've had them in for 20 years, which is great. Um, so if you've not got a problem, if you've not got a swelling, if you've not got a lump, if you've not got a hard implant, which is uncomfortable, um, you know, then you don't need to have the implants changed. Now, you might say, well, I've got a problem. I've got rippling. I'm like, OK, well, you OK, well, you could have your implants changed if you want to. Um, the problem with rippling is if you have an implant, um, anyway, if you have an implant, if you look at an implant, all implants ripple to a degree. And the question is whether you can see that rippling or not. So if you see the rippling, it's usually a combination of implant factors and patient factors. So implant factors can mean how well filled the implant is, how 
liquid that the gel of the implant is. So obviously, if the gel of the implant is more liquid, then that feels softer and feels nicer, but it's more likely to ripple. Whereas if the gel of the implant is more um, solid, then it's less likely to ripple, but feels a bit more firm. Modern day implants are slightly more firm than older implants. So your implants are 20 years old. The gel in your implant is probably less cohesive than the ones these days, um, a bit more runny than the ones these days, um, which makes it a bit more prone to rippling. But as I say, it makes it feel a bit nicer because it feels more squishy. squishy. Um, so it's it's related to the, the, the those are the implant factors and then there's patient factors. And patient factors basically means how much soft tissue you've got over the chest how much soft tissue you've got to hide the uh, implant so if you're very slim then particularly if you can see your ribs that's the sort of that's the sort of simple guide if you can see your ribs then you're probably going to be able to see the implant given that you you know you you can't hide your skeleton so if we put something on top of the ribs if you like then you're probably going to be able to see the edges of that so then what can you do uh, in terms of improving patient factors the first thing you know if your weight's okay then fine but if you did want to put on weight actually putting on weight's a good thing don't often tell people to put on weight but certainly if you're very slim and you you know but you might say look hold on a minute i don't want to put on weight we're going to say okay okay fine but if you did put on weight then it might help uh, Oh, what's this thing going on? I don't really have this in here. Um, if you did put on weight, that might help. Um, um, then um, that might help. The other thing we can do sort of artificially putting on weight is sort of um, is injecting fat. So you can inject fat over the top of the implant. Uh, would that obviously mean an, an operation to help with the rippling? Um and the other thing you can do is you said your implants are on top of the muscle, change plane to underneath the muscle. So if you put the underneath uh, implants underneath the muscle, then that can give that layer an extra layer of cover only in the upper pole, though, when you put it underneath the muscle. So laterally and inferiorly, the implant is not underneath the muscle. The muscle that we put it under is the pec major muscle, which only covers it in the upper pole, which is usually where the problem of rippling is. But if you have got some rippling at the side, that might still be an issue. So there are things we can do in terms of um, improving the rippling. First of all, maybe thinking about changing to an implant that's got more cohesive gel in it. it feels a bit firmer maybe, but less prone to rippling. Maybe we've got a better fill. Um, what that means is how filled the implant in is. Um, so basically how much volume that the shell can hold versus how much volume is in there. If that makes sense, that makes sense. So, you know, you can have a, 80% fill, which means that the shell can hold 300 cc's, but it's only got actually 80% of that volume in it, which is, again makes it feel softer but more prone to rippling. Um, but anyway, you can change some implant factors, and if you've got a 20 year old implant, it'll probably be possible to change to a more cohesive one. Um, so that'd be number one. And then probably the big thing is the muscle thing. So if it's is it on top of the muscle, changing plane to underneath the muscle would um, would improve the rippling in the upper pole and you may feel I've had them in for 20 years. I want to have them changed, which is fine. But as I say, if you're asking, do they have to be changed? Then the answer is no. Um, but if you want them changed, you can have them changed. But the problem is if you're very slim, it's always going to be a problem. People who are very slim, it's always going to be a problem hiding those implants. And sometimes they look, you might see or feel a bit of the edge of the implant in terms of rippling or feeling the edge of things. If you're very slim. Um, we hear you, Precious, says it's always good to hear my advice. Look at that. That's nice to hear, Precious. Thank you. It's always good to see your comments. Thank you. James, interested in narcotic-free tummy tuck due to wife having serotonin syndrome after first stop. Oh, my goodness me. James, that is on the list. We got you on the list, James. Should we do that one now? Let's do that one now. Oh, Lord, where's my question's gone? Right, narcotic-free tummy tuck. Oh, that was the last one, actually. Okay, well, let's do that one now. Let's do it now. We can be mobile because James is here narcotic free tummy tuck serotonin syndrome goodness me what is that um so james this sort of thing is more the anesthetist's arena um but in general terms uh narcotics opiates opiate analgesia they are good analgesics they are good painkillers um but personally i don't like them i don't particularly like 
these sorts of drugs, the sort of drugs we're talking about is morphine and things like that, you know. Um, and the reason I don't like them is because uh, they have side effects. The side effects being nausea, make you feel sick. Um, so if you've had something like a tummy tuck, so I think this is, yeah, we're talking about a tummy tuck here. If you have something like a tummy tuck, you know, I can imagine being sick after a tummy tuck. Not great. They can make you feel dizzy. They can make you feel woozy. They can make you constipated. Again, can you imagine being constipated after a tummy tuck? Not good. Straining it, you know, after a tummy tuck, not good at all. Um, so they have a side effect. So I always tell people to steer clear of opiates, certainly after the surgery in terms of post-op analgesia. So after the surgery, painkillers, I like ibuprofen, paracetamol. They're not opiate painkillers. Opiate painkillers are things like, um, obviously, morphine, um, cocodamol, coproximal, codeine, uh, tramadol, um, these sorts of uh, buprenorphine. These are these are uh, these are opiate uh, analgesias. So uh, they do have side effects, and I don't like them. So exhibit A, I always tell everybody, if you can, stay clear of them. Stay clear of them. Now you're asking specifically about having a whole tummy tuck uh, opiate free. Now we can do tummy tuck under local and sedation, local anesthetic and sedation. It's quite a big deal to do it under low sedation, and it's not for everybody. It, you can often feel bits and bobs, and you have to be on board because it can be a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest with you. Um, and it is usually better to do it under a general anaesthetic, uh, and often opiates will be used. Can, can it be done without narcotics? Is to use the sort of it's a bit more on narcotics but we'll call it no we'll call it narcotics sounds a bit like um sort of um you know csi that doesn't it, it sounds like they're bad drugs obviously they're the same drugs that get abused but we they are actually good painkiller drugs um so it can be done under without uh opiate analgesia but if you're asking or if you were asking um can you know i don't like the thought of them sort of thing i would say to you yeah definitely me neither let's steer clear of them but if you need them we'll give them to you if you're saying that your wife has a problem that she cannot have, um, I'm trying to think how serotonin syndrome would affect narcotics. Um, I'm I, I, sorry, my um, how how that I, I'm guessing that means there's some problem with with narcotics with this serotonin syndrome. But um, that would be something more that we'd have to discuss with the anaesthetist, and we'd have to make a balanced judgment on it because I've got to say, a tummy tuck's a big op, and if you were unable to have um narcotics then it could be done but it might be a bit more uncomfortable and we'd have to have a discussion with you about that it also depends on how much you know there are tummy tucks and there are tummy tucks sometimes people are very big there's quite a lot of dissection to do and it's quite hard to get local anesthetic in all the areas um some people are a bit more slim and they've just got a you know that 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 redundant skin and so it's a bit more it's a bit more easy to anesthetize those areas with local anesthetic so obviously if you can anesthetize it with local anesthetic and give you some sedation on top of that then it's going to be less uncomfortable for you and less um requirement for you to have um other analgesia um like narcotics um so it's a tricky one, James, and I wouldn't like to guarantee it. I think it's something that I would say that we or whoever's doing the tummy tuck would need to see you, uh, have a discussion with you, and the anaesthetist would have to be involved uh, to get the anaesthetist on board. Um, not all anaesthetists are happy with doing local insulation. And even if the anaesthetist is happy doing local insulation, how they feel about doing it where they actually couldn't use any um, narcotics, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'd have to talk to you about that. It's a good question. And in your specific case, I'd say not sure. But in someone who was saying to me, I'm, you know, don't fancy um, um, opiates, I would say, oh, well, that's fine. Me neither. We'll try and avoid them if we can, but we might have to use them, which is a slightly different situation to yours. So, um, yeah. And it, and it might, you know, so it comes up to all this sort of surgery to balance risks versus benefits. You know, and, and it might be that it, she might not be a candidate for a tummy tuck because it, it is quite a big op and, you know, can be a bit uncomfortable to do the op. So might be. I'm not saying it will. Might be. But um, good question, James. Good question. Thank you for the narcotic free tummy tuck question. 
Angela says, hi, I'm going to say hi right back to you, Angela. And Lou, likewise, Precious is back in. I like you simply because you're very honest. When people are asking questions, you don't hide. Keep up all the best. I don't hide, Precious. No, I'm just here in the limelight, in the spotlight, in the studio, you know, living it. I'm living it, Precious, for real. So what's going on with the next question? I'll tell you what. What's involved in a thigh lift? That's what we're talking about here. I'm considering surgery on my legs. What is involved in a thigh lift? Are the scars large and visible? Actually, this leads on to the next question as well. Um, the scars for a thigh lift are vary. There are different ways you can do a thigh lift. And they are, broadly speaking, two types. One type gives you a scar up in your groin. Uh, and the good thing about that is it's totally hidden. It's hidden in your underwear. It's up in your groin. No scars on your legs, no scars on your thighs. And so that's nice. So when you talk to people, they think that scar is good and nice because it's hidden, which of course it is. And we're trying to always trying to hide scars. The other scar for a thigh lift is a big, long scar dive down the inner, inner aspect of your thigh all the way down to your knee. So a longitudinal scar all the way down your inner thigh much more obvious so so your question are the scars large and visible yes they can be if you have a type of thigh lift where the big scar down to the knee yes they are large and visible if you have the type of thigh lift where it's hidden up in your groin no they're not large and visible they're small and i would say invisible because they are visible if you take your underwear off but when you've got your underwear on they are not visible so you might say, well, actually, I'll have the uh, small and invisible scarring, please, which is not unreasonable. In my hands and in my experience, and this is, have I got my disclaimer? Disclaimer. This is just my view. Um, oh, there's a question I missed off. Um, this is this is just my view. So about disclaimers, that just reminded me. I feel in my hands that that scar which is hidden up in your groin is less of a tummy tuck well it is less uh, less of a thigh lift it is less of a thigh lift and not i feel it is less of a thigh lift and it's just not as good it doesn't give you as good a lift it doesn't take out as much skin it can't take out as much skin if the scar's smaller it can't take out as much skin the bigger the scar the more skin you take out simple as that that is you know fact you want a small scar? Fine, but you can have less skin taken out. The bigger scars we make, the more scar, uh, more skin we can remove. So less skin is removed. And also the main issue is the vector of pull. The vector of pull, because you're trying to tighten the skin around the thigh, the vector of pull is an upward pull. You're pulling up into the groin. You're tightening the skin in an upward direction up into the groin. And when you need a thigh lift, your laxity is in a circumferential direction, not in an up-down direction. And so the, the, the thigh lift where you make a big, long scar down the medial aspect of the thigh, the big, visible scar, gives a better thigh lift. No question about it. It gives more tightening. It gives a better result. And I prefer it. I prefer giving more tightening better result but i'll only do it on people and i'll make it quite clear there's a big long scar down the middle of your inner thigh uh, we try and hide it so you can't see it from the front can't see it from the back but if you abduct your hip if you if your thigh moves out then you will see it it's a big long scar and people might see it if you're wearing um, short trousers or short dresses so i think it is a better thigh lift but it's more scarring and more visible scarring so if that's a problem you might want to go back to your your um, thigh lift where there's a thigh a scar hidden up in the groin, but I don't think it's as good a scar uh, as good a lift. The scar's got a risk of infection and what have you because it's up in the hot, sweaty groin, um, and it can cause its own problems. So I don't particularly like that sort of thigh lift. So I think it's the big long scar down the inner aspect of the leg. Or well, nothing really for me. But I know a lot of people do do the other one. It's but it's just not not a great lift when you do that that sort of that sort of scar. I think it's too much of a compromise personally. But it's all about being informed. A bit like the uh, narcotic thing. It's all about being informed about 
the best, the pros and cons for making a decision. You know, no one would do a bigger scar if they could get the same with a smaller scar. No one would do a big visible scar if they could get the same result with a small invisible scar. So there's a trade-off. So, right. Tracy says hi. Hi, Tracy. Nice to see you. <laughs> I'm right-clicking instead of left-clicking. Hi, Kellyanne. If you have a full tummy tuck, how far up the belly do you lift up to pull down? Does it get rid of your underboob rolls? Tar. Y yes and no. Yeah. So you do go to the underboob rolls. Is the yes. Well, it's not really a yes. It's a... Anyway, you do go up to the rib cage, basically, Kelly. You go all the way up to the rib cage when you I have to find that other question I missed off. When you do a tummy tuck, you undermine all the way up to the rib cage. And you do mobilize all of the you know, well, usually just a tunnel, but you do mobilize the skin of the upper abdomen and pull it down. But it is not great at removing under boob if you really got proper under boob rolls if you've got a bit of skin there and you're exaggerating by saying under boob rolls then that skin will be pulled down and tightened but it's a bit of an indirect pull most of the effects of a tummy tuck is in the lower abdomen the bit from the belly button down that is the bit that gets removed and the bit from the belly button up then gets pulled down and gets tightened and, and there's no question it is more taut but if you've got a proper roll of skin under your boobs that will not be addressed at the time of a tummy tuck. And that would probably need to be addressed secondarily later on with either liposuction if it's not too bad. But if it, again, if it's a proper roll of excess skin, reverse abdominoplasty where you take the skin out and make an incision under the breast. You usually do that later, um, six months or so after the tummy tuck um, to, to get rid of those rolls. But that's really for people who've got massive weight loss um, which which you may have, I don't know, but if you but it's it's not for everybody. I think a lot of people feel that they've got a, a lot there, but um, they haven't really. And actually, when you have a, a normal full tuck, that can pull that uh, skin down and indirectly tighten that sk the skin under the boobs, but it doesn't sort of directly pull it. Um, so yeah, you go all the way up to the rib cage and you. Um, pull it down what is going on i'm right clicking instead of left clicking right sj small pages in the house everybody uh the famous sj small page good to see you hello uh junie says will the inside with, sorry with the inside thigh scar how much if a groin scar is there with the in thigh inside thigh scar how much if a groin scar is there With the in inside thigh scar, how, Junie, is that a question? With the inside, so what you're saying is this groin scar is already there. So is this like saying you've already had that sort of groin thigh lift and you, you're going to go for the other thigh lift, which would be fine? Do you mean how much money or how much? So that would be fine. If you've had the one thigh lift and it's not done the job, you could always have the big long scar down the median aspect of the thigh. Um. So, copy this question quickly. Um, yeah, Is that your question, Junie, of a groin scar. With the inside thigh scar, how much if a groin scar is there? How much? Oh, how much of a groin scar? Got it. How much of a groin scar is there? Yes, not much, Junie. Not much. Sorry. How much of a groin scar is there? So basically, it goes all the way up into the. Uh, um, up into your perineum, which is up where your where your groin is, and there might be a little L, a bit like the arm. You get a little L, but not there. It certainly doesn't go up as high as the the other type of thigh lift. So the question is, with the inside thigh scar, how much of a groin scar is there? Yeah, with the downward scar, you must need a groin scar too. No, no. So basically, you're taking out a lips, Junie. Um, Right, let's get let's get physical. You're taking out a lips here, so whoop, whoop, whoop. 
that skin is taken out yeah big long scar so you don't have much of it the other the other one has a scar here and it pulls us pulls it up has a scar in there I don't know if I'm going to get banned from Facebook from that. Surely not. Surely that's it's past the water. Oh, no, it's not past the watershed, is it? No. Um, so, yeah. So, Juni. So, you you might have a little groin scar, a little L up in the groin, but not much. I don't know. I hope that's answered your uh, question, Juni. You think you must need a groin scar. Why must you need a groin scar? Um good demo yes right um what's going on precious lost it right precious pull yourself together girl right what's going on we're gonna go slick as you like similar vein similar vein one stitch i'm gonna add an item while i'm here one stitch facelift do you do it Um, do you carry out facelifts at your clinic? I'm thinking about the one stitch facelift. Is this something you do? And what are your views on it? Does it last? So no, is I don't do it uh, is number one answer to that. But I'll have, I can answer the question because I'm a plastic surgeon. I don't know about these things. So I don't do it. I mainly do breast and body is my thing. Uh, so I don't really do faces, but you know, got a view. Uh, so basically the one stitch facelift is a little bit a little bit like any of these minimal scar techniques to be honest a bit like the thigh it's a bit like breast mastopexies people are always trying to do short scars and minimal scars tummy tucks short scars and all this sort of thing. and it's the same principle the shorter the scar the less skin you take out and the thing about a facelift is a full facelift a full sort of full-on facelift is quite a big op no question about it. It's the big op. It's a lot of downtime and it's a big scar. And, uh, you know, it's it's a big deal, basically. And not people, uh, many people are not ready for it and are not ready for the um, for the for the downtime, for the potential complications, for all the risks with it etc etc so that's absolutely fine so a one stitch facelift involves just hoiking and, and pulling up the the face uh it's a much more simple procedure it's a local anesthetic procedure um much less downtime what was the question is this something you do and what do, or how long does it last much less downtime and very nice effective it's quite a popular procedure i've got no conflict of interest because i don't do i don't do one stitch i don't do full facelift i don't do any so um you know one stitch facelift has merits because it's much less downtime uh, short procedure but at the same time you can't expect it to be as good as a full facelift otherwise no one would do full facelifts and so it doesn't last quite as long you're obviously not removing the skin that you're removing with a full facelift. You should see the amount of skin that you remove when you do a full facelift and that skin gets removed and gone forever. Um, this just involves sort of pulling up and anchoring the skin. So it's, I think it's got a place. And I think if you haven't got much laxity and you perhaps don't need a full facelift, and particularly if you don't want a full facelift and are happy to accept perhaps not quite as much tightening as you would get with a full facelift, then and you don't want the downtime you don't want the you know the complications you don't want all the problems associated with the full face of absolutely fine so i think it's definitely got a place but i but you have to take you what everyone wants to hear is that it's as good as a full facelift they want to hear that yeah it's the same you don't need a full facelift you know you just and unfortunately some people there are people out there who only do well there's some people who will only do one thing particularly if they only do the lesser thing if they only do the lesser thing they might say, oh, yeah, you don't want a full one. Have this one. It's just as good. Well, why would anyone do a full one if this one was just as good? So, you know, if you talk to someone who does all of them, they'll say to you, look, sometimes I do full facelifts and that, you know, they're brilliant for these cases. But one stitch is brilliant for these cases. So be wary of anyone who tells you that they're just as good as a, a full facelift, because um, I don't think any surgeon would want to take on complications, scarring, big operations if they didn't have to. So the big operations do give more of a result, but come with them more complications and downtime, etc. I hope that's answered that one. 
Oh, here we go. What, uh, Michelle, we've got on the one fifth. Oh, God, started something now. We've got another question about the one stitch facelift. What does a one stitch facelift address? I've lost my fat pockets and have lines, nose to mouth. Lost my fat pockets. Um, so I think lines, nose to mouth. Okay, so nasolabial here, this sort of a, um, fat pockets. Where are you talking about your lower eyelid when you're talking about fat pockets? So basically, if you're talking about sort of low, the fat pockets here, uh, cheek, that's probably more of a mid facelift slash lower blepharoplasty. So it's different. So in terms of restoring and, and tightening up this area here, and sometimes people are now injecting fat. We used to be taking a lot of fat out of these areas. Now we're sort of injecting fat to sort of volumize the face. So a mid facelift is more, uh, sorry, a one stitch facelift is more this, the neckline and the sort of jowl and sort of tightening, tightening the sort of jawline is, 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 is should really be called a lower facelift, I guess. So the one stitch facelift ingest, addresses this area. The lower blepharoplasty slash mid facelift address, addresses this area through an incision in the lower eyelid, this bit here. And then your brow is, and, 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 and your forehead is a brow, a brow lift. Um, and your lines nose to mouth. Um, lines nose to mouth, that could be uh, helped with uh, filler is an option for that sort of area. Um, I'm not sure if a, if a one-stitch face if would, would help your not lines, nose to mouth, your nasolabial. We'll call them nasolabial, shall we? Um, but filler might be a might be an option for that. But yeah, a bit out of my territory, Michelle. Um, <laughs> I hope that's helpful. That's an, that's an armchair view of it. You're better off talking to a specialist, really. I'm just... You know, I'm just the cleaner. I just come in, picked up the microphone. Anyway, um, Lisa Halls. I've lost over 14 stone. 14, can that be right? In weight. And had an FDL last March, flirtily abdominoplasty, that is, which is like an inverted T-shaped scar for those viewers who don't know what an FDL is. It's quite a big abdominoplasty, basically. I'm now looking to sort my boobs out. I have lost all of the volume at the top. I'm currently 36 double D. Would I have just a lift or with implants? So Lisa, if that isn't a typo, oh, you're saying congrats. Kirsty says congrats. And Lisa says, yep. So basically that is not a typo, Lisa. You have lost 14 stone. Well, let's give her a hand, guys. Lisa's lost 14 stone. I bet people don't recognize you. Amazing. Wow. Um, so basically what you probably need is you need the volume redistributed, Lisa. So if you're a 36 double D, you've got quite a bit of volume there and you need it redistributed. So I would say you need a lift. You don't need implants unless you say you want to be an F cup or something like that. But I don't, you know, and then if you start getting big, putting implants, if you've got fair volume already, and you put implants in, you're making them heavier. The heavier they are, they, the more they're acted on by gravity, the more they'll droop again in the future. So I would say you don't need implants, Lisa. You need a, just a lift. Now, one thing I always clear to point out to people when they're having a lift is the shape does settle and it does a bit of give you a bit of uh, concavity in the upper pole. You don't get that bulge you get with implants. So if people are adamant they want that bulge in the upper pole, then implants do give that. But the main thing about implants, they make your breast bigger. So if you don't want your breast bigger and you just want the shape addressed, just a lift. If you want the shape addressed, lift. If you want the size addressed, implants. Assuming you want bigger, if you want the smaller, then it's reduction. But you know, implants are good at making them bigger. Lift's good at making the shape better. And it sounds like it's a shape problem with you, Lisa. Precious, what you got? I really want to do some liposuction, but I'm but am to die. Oh, I'm scared. Is that to die? Or butt fat transfer. I guess I'm not brave enough to do it. I wish I was because it's something I've always wanted. So, um, precious, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be uh, too inflammatory, but uh, we're not supposed to be doing butt fat transfer. At least plastic surgeons in the UK are not because of the risk of death. I think in skilled hands speaking to very um surgeons who do a lot of these work they will say that the you know the risks are, are small and, ex and acceptable um but you have to be obviously sign the consent form at the end of the day and you have to accept that risk there's risks with anything there's risk with any surgery you know um but they're small and 
I think from what I am seeing that a lot of the problems are coming from people who are, are not experienced in the techniques and, and are doing it in an unsafe way. And there are safe ways to do it. So it may come back in. I think the plastic surgeons in the UK are looking into it and doing sort of research into it to see whether it's something that we can introduce back in. But at the moment, it is not something that we are doing. Um, so, yeah, it's not a question of brave enough, precious. It might be best just to leave off for a bit, maybe, or, or at least seek out someone who's who's got experience. But it probably won't be in this country, unfortunately. Having told people not to go abroad for surgery, the, there's no one in this country really doing it, unfortunately. So Lisa doesn't want to be bigger. So Lisa, it's a lift then that you want, not implants. It's a lift. So, yeah, this is the question here. Do I have any reference to non-disclosure in your contracts? This is a person who's contacted me who said that there's um, people who are doing these things that you have to sign when you go to surgery saying, um, saying things like, uh, basically, I won't, I don't know, I won't post on social media, I think it says, and I... I don't know, I won't say bad things about you as a surgeon. You know, you, you won't, um, as part of the consent process. Um, so the answer to that is I don't have that sort of non-disclosure thing on the consent form. The consent form basically says this is what the procedure is. This is the anesthetic we spoke about. Um, I've told you all the options, including not having surgery and things like that, you know, and do you consent to the procedure? I don't ask people to sign something saying they're not going to go on social media and complain or, you know, say something bad. I don't know how well that would stand up. I'm not a lawyer. I need another disclosure here. Not, I don't, I'm not a lawyer and I don't know any legal ramifications of it. But I think if you are unhappy with your procedure, um, I don't know how it would stand up legal if you signed this form to say I won't. <laughs> um, you know, put things on social media about it. I think in this day and age, we can't really stop people from putting stuff in social media. It's interesting. I was at a meeting a few years ago now and um, very reputable surgeon said, oh, I had a bad review. There's a lawyer giving a talk and I had a bad review and tried to get the review taken down and um, all, all this. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, Unless the review is sort of um, defamatory, you know, and you get lawyers involved, it's hard to sort of get someone to remove something which might be true. You know, I'm not happy with the, the result and the surgeon didn't listen to me and, you know, and, and, and was rude and, and abrupt and I'm not very happy. That's sort of, if that's factual statement, it's hard to stop people from putting that stuff online. And my advice would always be try and build up as much positivity as you can so that when the negativity comes, and certainly I've got to be honest, as plastic surgeons, we and certainly I do feel quite exposed because anyone can say anything at any time. They don't even have to be a patient. They can just, you know, anyone can post anything. I shouldn't give anyone ideas. But, you know, we are a bit to the mercy um, of people. And so I think we just got to try and do a good a, as good a job as we can and try and encourage people to do um you know encourage as much positivity as we can this happened to me recently um i had a a, a one-star review on google which was very upsetting for me because i had about 20 or 20 a bit more than 25 star reviews on on google so if you google plastic surgery birmingham or something you know five stars yeah you know it looks great and as soon as you've got anything less than a five stars you can't have five stars anymore i can never have five stars you know i get a million reviews you know i've got one one star review and that my average is always going to be 4.9 might be 4.999 but anyway so that was very upsetting i've got to be honest um uh you know it was a patient 10 years ago I did their surgery so why they chose in 2010 why they chose 2020 to put a review um but um you know I I feel I've I, I actually sent an email to my my patients on my um database and said look I've got this one star review and then I in a very short period of time got about 25 star reviews so I've now got 50 
reviews, but you know, I've got, uh, I've got 52 or something, 51 of them are five star and one of them's one star, but, uh, but I think that's all you can do. You can just try and do a good thing and hopefully do, do as good a job as you can and please as many people as you can. But I guess you're never going to please everybody. And I think, um, um, these non-disclosure things, I'm not, I'm not sure whether it's going to come in, whether we're all going to be starting doing it. Maybe I'll eat my words. I've, got, I've done it now. It's on video. It's out there now. I've said it, but we don't do it at the moment, whether we will do it because some lawyer will tell us we've got, it's a good thing to do. But I think, you know, in this day and age with free speech and social media, it's hard to make people not say bad things about you if you've done something bad or if they perceive that you've done something bad. It's an interesting one. I was quite surprised to see that. Um, Precious. Thanks, Diana. Yeah. You're welcome, Tyra. Uh, Lisa, I need to come and see you. I'm right here, Lisa. Lovely to see you. Um, Narcotic free. One stitch. We've done that. Should I have smooth or textured implants? Let me just see. Now, I've done the other two. So, fair warn. This is the last question, guys. All in fair warn. So get them in. Get your thinking cap on. Get in the comments section and get uh, busy if you've got a question for me. But don't worry. I'll be back next week. If not, if you don't get, you know, don't get it in on time. If you're watching this on the replay or on the podcast, let's not forget this is the podcast every Tuesday. Oh, no, we don't post it. I don't know when we post it. But anyway, it's a podcast on iTunes and any or SoundCloud. So if you've got those things and you want to listen to me in your car, then just do it. Just download the podcast. Why not? That's what everyone's doing these days. Now, this question, very fond of this question because it started hashtag ask JJ. I knew we could get that hashtag trending. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Hashtag ask JJ. This is just a question for Tuesday's live. I'm having breast augmentation in April and I'm undecided on the type of implants to have. My surgeon uses Nagor implants and mainly uses textured Impleo. He told me about the recent findings with the textured implants and a certain cancer. I originally, oh God, it's cut off the rest of the thing. Oh God, what was it? Um, I originally originally opted for the textured, but he said he will also have the smooth in. So on the day of surgery, if I change my mind, he will use the smooth. I'm just so undecided and I really don't know what to do for the best. My surgeon told me that there is a higher risk of capsular contracture with smooth implants. I'll be having my implants placed under the muscle and recently read that if you have smooth under the muscle, the risk isn't as high as if you would have them over the muscle. There's just so much different information about that. I'm just so confused. And it really is causing me a lot of worry. I'd really appreciate your advice. My surgeon said he's concerned about the textured implants and he has been using them for over 25 years with no issues. But he said, ultimately, it's my... I think that should be choice. Missed out the last word. Oh, yeah, sorry, no, I haven't. It's my choice. But he wanted me to know all the risks involved. Thank you so much. Few things to wheedle out there, isn't there? First thing I would say to you, my advice, and again, this is my advice, and who am I? Your surgeon is the main man slash woman. So, but you've asked for me to put my oar in, so my oar is going in. First thing I would say to you, I really don't like doing anything on the day. So, personally, I don't like the thought of making a decision on the day, whether you're having to smooth or textured. I would make the decision before the day. You've got enough on your plate on the day of surgery to be worrying about. You've got to make a decision, you know, on the day, whether you have, you, you know, smooth or textured. I think when people start making decisions on the day of surgery, I, oh God, I would normally say, look, let's postpone the surgery. Let's do it another day because, um, you know, it's just, it's not good practice, I don't think, to make making decisions on the day. So the first thing I'd say to you is I would try and make a decision before the day, number one. Um, number two, yes, true about capsular contracture under the muscle. So capsular contracture is measured by how much you can feel the implant, um, whether you can see the implants and whether it's painful. That's the sort of grading of capsular contracture. So grade one capsular contracture is 
uh, you can't see or feel the implant. So everybody in the world with implants has got grade one capsular contracture. So grade one, you know, everyone's got that. So if you can feel the implant but not see them, and you've got grade two. If you can see them, if you can start, they're starting to contract and see the edge of it, it's grade three. And if they're painful, then that's grade four. So the muscle over the top of the implant sort of protects the implant. So you're less likely or it's going to take longer before you can see it. And it's going to be longer before you can feel it because you've got that muscle over the top of it. So you're absolutely right. So capsular contraction presents later in patients with, with implants underneath the muscle or any type of implant underneath the muscle. So that's one benefit of having the implant underneath the muscle. But nevertheless, smooth implants do have a higher risk of capsular contracture when compared to textured implants. So this ALCL uh, is a worry and it is a concern and it is a type of cancer and it is associated with implants and it's associated with textured implants so that is what this issue is about so textured implants are associated with alcl so there are some surgeons and it sounds like this surgeon might be one of them some surgeons are moving towards smooth implants. well this surgeon is giving you the option but some surgeons are moving towards smooth implants because they say listen i don't want to give my patients uh, alcl which has got a risk of death um and I'm going to go smooth implants. And you might think that sounds absolutely reasonable. Now, my view is that there are bad things with smooth implants. So there are risks with having smooth implants and there are risks with having textured implants. And the evidence is all a bit, there's not a huge amount of evidence at the moment because it's all quite fresh. This It's only in the last few years, really, this ALCL has been coming out. Um, and the numbers are small. There's not that many patients who have been diagnosed with it. It's a very rare type of cancer. It is not breast cancer. So breast cancer is a very nasty disease, and it's got a very um, uh, poor prognosis, or at least certain types have, uh, and it's a, it's a huge problem in, in the world. This is a, uh, a lymphoma. It is not a breast cancer, and it's a cancer of the capsule, the scar tissue around the implant. And the majority of cases when caught early, and they often are caught early because there's often the symptoms associated with it, there's usually a lump or a swelling, um, are cured by removing the capsule. So it is a curable cancer if you remove the capsule and you catch it early. And so the risk of dying from ALCL <coughs> excuse me, is very low. There was a study a while ago where they looked at the risk of dying with having certain things. And they said, if you go to New York for two days, if you go skiing for a week, your risk of dying is twice the risk of dying if you have um, breast implants in, texture breast implants in for life. So, you know, when you put it like that, you know, if you said to me, I'm going skiing next week, I could not guarantee that you wouldn't die. You know, people die when they go skiing. People die when they get in their car and go up the M42. So there is risk of death with these things, but we accept that risk. That's an acceptable risk. So you've got to put it in perspective. The risk of dying is extremely small. Um, and the risk of having smooth implants is their increased risk of rippling. That's why you pretty much always have to put them underneath the muscle. You can't have a teardrop shape because they move. They don't really adhere. And capsular contracture is... Um, is increased and so there's more risk of having capsular contracture and a potential for another operation in the future if you did get a capsular contracture associated with that so um it's about putting it in perspective and the main thing for me with this sort of thing is patients being comfortable in their own mind as to that they're making the right decision because at the end of the day there isn't a right decision to be honest with you you've got to be in the right decision for you some people will want smooth implants. Some people will be happy having textured implants. And it's just making the right decision for you. And it's balancing it up. If there was a right decision, we'd all be doing it that way. Now, there are some countries that have banned textured implants, uh, France, Australia. Um, I'm not sure about that because I do think there are benefits with textured implants. And so I would say it's better that we give people the facts to allow them to make a decision on the balance of risks because there is a balance of risks with both and it's interesting i spoke to, spoke to a reporter a while ago and said our oh, women are dying with these implants and it's awful that we're giving our women these implants and they're dying and it's terrible and i think that's a bit of an inflammatory way of putting it it's a bit like saying oh our women are dying with the skiing things people are putting these flat things on their feet and they're sliding down snowy mountains 
you know, it's disgusting. We shouldn't be allowing it. We should be banning skiing. You know, I'm like, well, let's not ban skiing. Let's just let people know that there's risks associated with doing these things and let them decide whether the benefit of going down the slope with these flat things on your legs is outweighs the risks. So the risk of dying are very small and it's good fun going skiing. So, you know, let's let people make a decision as to whether they want to take that risk or not. Um, and a lot of people do choose to take that risk. Um, but anyway, that's my view on it. So I think I think either would be fine. And I think you really need to work with your surgeon. And my advice would be don't make a decision on the day. Make a decision beforehand. And whichever you have, be happy with the decision that they've both got pros and cons. So if you get a pro, a pro or if not a pro, if you get a con of one of them, just accept, okay, well, I knew there were cons associated with it, but just remember there were pros associated with it as well. Don't think, oh, I made the wrong decision because I got this con. You know, I used a smooth implant and I got a capsule contracture. Oh, I should have gone for a textured. Well, no, remember you went for a smooth because you were worried about the risk of ALCL. So that was a benefit. So the fact that you've got a con, well, you know, that you always knew that was a risk. That's the way I would be approaching it, trying to make the right decision for you by um, weighing up the pros and cons. And what people want, and people want this when they're choosing implants, they want the right choice. They want the perfect implant. They want the best implant. Everyone says, I want the best. If there was one best one, that's we just we'd all use that. You know, there are good and bad about round, textured, high profile, low profile, polyurethane, macro textured, nano textured, smooth. There's there's all different types of implants, and there's good and bad about all of them. There is no one best implant, unfortunately. Otherwise, we'd all just use that one. So it's about making a decision for what's right for you. I want to sleep on that one, haven't I? I want a bit of rant there. That was a bit of a rant. Sorry about that. Um, so I hope that's been helpful. And uh, precious. I hope I've been, what did you say? Honest. Yeah, honest, not hiding. Yeah, face it head on. So that is a wrap. Unless anyone's got a question, I'd be very happy to answer. I can sit here for a bit. Not got anything to do. Oh, crikey, what a question. Hold on. Well, one's coming. We've got a question coming. Right. Jane, thank you so much for answering my question. Right. Um, you have given me some great advice, and I feel so much better now about what decision to make. So thank you. Good, Jane. You talk to your surgeon, and as I say, make a decision prior to surgery. It would be my would be my advice prior to the day. I, ne I never think it's good doing things on the day. And, um, yeah, good luck with that, Jane. I'm, oh, I'm glad that's been helpful. That's nice to hear. Well, thank you. Um, there you go. So, well, that's good. That was worth the wait. Um, that would have been annoying if I cut it off. Just sorry, typing that in, wouldn't it? So I am, um, well, on that note, uh, that's very kind of you to say that, Jane. Good luck with everything. Good luck in April. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Whichever type of implant you choose, you can get great results. Smooth, you can get great results with textile implants. You know, so um, you're going to get a great result. Don't let it mar your um view of of the whole thing you know you you try and stay positive about the whole thing whichever one you choose for uh, choose for choose so yeah uh styano checking out thank you all for visiting and watching and i will be here at 7 p.m next tuesday so please get in there do like what jane did ask me a question loving it um loving the questions tonight keep them coming and i will see here you here next tuesday and i'll be answering the questions at that time so for me and for everyone here uh, in the snug it's good night good night have a question not covered in today's show then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag ask jj We'd love to hear from you.